0: Hey guys, this is Robert Breedlove from the What Is Money show, and as you've learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to facilitate financial security for all. They accomplish this by bringing a high level of professionalization and sophistication to the Bitcoin marketplace. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. By using Nidig, you will gain access to an end-to-end institutional grade platform, providing Bitcoin OTC transactions, Bitcoin collateralized borrowing, secure custody, asset management, derivatives, financing, market research, and more. And all of these services meet the highest regulatory governance and audit standards. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently, and is leading the way for ongoing institutional adoption in this nascent asset class. So please be sure to check out Nidig as a single source for all your Bitcoin needs. Hey everyone, welcome back to the What Is Money show. I'm sitting down today with Mr. John Verveke, once again. And we're going to continue our exploration of cognitive science uh, and its relationship to human action. And today, John, I wanted to ask for your help. I'm trying to figure out the connection um, between this term you've coined, psychotechnology, and the social institutions that bind us in the world. Yes. Um, yes. again, you know, the most fundamental and familiar psychotechnologies being literacy, numeracy. Right. Uh, these seem pretty fundamental to human interaction and thus yes. our social institutions. So our social institutions, you know, if we follow the software analogy a little further, I was kind of thinking that psychotechnologies Or social institutions, rather, maybe applications of
1: psychotechnologies to some extent. How would you describe this relationship? I think our our metaphors are close, but they're not exactly the same. I tend to think uh, of the institutions as, well, here, let's try it this way. What do you do with the computer? You get a logical ordering of information. And then you get a causal ordering of uh, physical entities, you know, it could be electricity, copper, whatever, but you can te- technically, you can build a computer out of water wheels and stuff like this, it'd just be vast, right? And mm-hmm. slow, right? So what you have is you have a causal ordering of information and a, ca- and a causal ordering of events, uh, sorry, a, a logical ordering of information and a causal ordering of events. Um, and so, you, so in, in that very important sense, right, a computer is a logic machine, where logic is a particular ordering of information that is designed to do truth preservation, right? And then uh, a computer is a particular ordering events uh, so that you get a reliable functionality, hence it's a machine, a logic machine. So here's the proposal I have to you, that the psychotechnologies are basically software for distributed cognition Okay. And yeah. that social institutions are the hardware of distributed cognition. They are, what we've done it. So what you do in a computer is you order matter so that it's isometric to the logical order of information. And then you, you set things up so that they, they track with each other. So you can run the program, you can run the software on the hardware. And that's what a program is. What social institutions do is right. They, they, they basically bind human endeavor. I'll use the term, and I'm trying to use it intentionally, uh, equivocally, Um, I hope I won't get into a flaw here, between uh, a more general sense and the sense in economics perhaps, Mm -hmm. right? So what you're basically doing is, you have to do two things to solve a problem. You have to order the flow of information in distributed cognition, and enhance and afford that flow of information. I take it that's what psychotechnologies do, but you have to also you have to also organize the causation, the causal relationship between people. So you're organizing their labor so that the information flow actually serves to coordinate the labor and the, the flow of the labor actually provides a platform on which you can do the exchange of information that is needed for uh, the psychotechnology to, um, activate collective intelligence within distributed cognition. So I'm hmm. close to what you're. I think you were saying, but uh, because if I'm gonna solve a problem, think about just me solving a problem, uh, you know, there's, uh, and I, I don't believe in this strict distinction anymore in cognitive science between software and hardware, uh, hardware but I'll still use it right now, right? right? I have to run the software of the problem formulation, lay out the problem space, do all that stuff. But I also have to do this. I have to move my articulated body around yes. in a highly coherent, right, and coordinated fashion, extended across time, interacting with changes in the environment. And then if I add in another person, the, the order of complexity doesn't double. It goes up by orders right. of magnitude. Right. And so, right, and, and what I can do is what I can do is I can create institutions that give us um, an ordering of causal interaction so that we can coordinate our distributed la- the distributed labor part of our distributed cognition that is coordinated i wouldn't quite say isomorphic but at least coordinated with right the flow of information the coordination of the flow of information within distributed cognition so that we get intelligent Behavior. We get intelligent labor. We get intelligent action. We get problem solving.
0: Okay, so if the social institution in this analogy, and I, I realize we're using hardware software dichotomy, there's a blurred line there. Clearly,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yep. Um, are is this back to the where we talked about consciousness being the aperture that that d- took an ill defined problem. And made it clearly defined so that it could then be embedded in intelligence and yeah, you didn't have to think about it as much so the social institution is like a cognitive expedient perhaps
1: so so that's a good way of thinking about it especially if you think that computers are very very good at well-defined problems and very very poor at ill-defined problems right that's yes. the reliable differences between us and them which is one of the many reasons why a standard computational model of cognition is probably inadequate. And I can't go into that in detail. I have a lot of argument and publications out there about that. I'll just, I'll just, I, I want to reinforce that you, you, I wanted to reinforce your reinforcement that we're using this dichotomy, but we're using it under a very critical eye, right? right. we just yeah. use we're explanatory, yeah. you know, the way we can use the solar system model of the atom, even though it's, we know it's fundamentally right. false. Yeah. Help our understanding, right? It's a blunt so instrument. That, that, yeah. So. The degree to which we can, I think, I think this will this will be a word that moves between these two domains. The degree to which we can formalize how people are supposed to causally coordinate and influence each other, so that we get something approaching an algorithm within distributed cognition for solving a well-defined domain of well-defined problem solvings. That's sort of how I would describe the, uh, the functional requirements for a social institution to be enacting distributed cognition. It would have to do exactly that. It would have to be that, right, uh, I could routinize and proceduralize how human beings are interacting with each other because those procedures, when run reliably, can reliably be applied to this domain of problems. Mm-hmm. And because the, the, that, that, that domain is fairly well-defined, and the problems are, within it are well-defined, those procedures will reliably uh, tend to solve uh, that set of problems. But okay. your point is, you're not gonna do it. Human beings aren't billiard balls. They're not bouncing off against each right. other causally. They're caught, our, our, our behavior, this is the whole part of the cognitive revolution in the 50s, our behavior is not driven by the physical properties of stimuli, but by the meaning. And that's why we have to have all this psychotechnology managing the meaning. Right. Uh, right. The meaning right, right. of the information flow that is coordinated with, um, like I said, the proceduralization of behavior.
0: OK, that makes sense. Um, I would. Just to add to the terminology we're using here, um, Nick Zabu who is a prolific writer in the space, He he distinguishes between wet code and dry code. To kind of add to this analogy, so I think the ill-defined problem that's kind of the wet code, whereas the defined problem is dry code. And his point is that computers are great with dry code, terrible with wet code. But that's what we deal with. That's as humans. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's that, yeah. There are many, many metaphors. I, I, I suppose I do not know his work. That what he's trying to pick up on with the wet code, which is something we've been sort of keep alluding to, yeah. is that the non-computational aspects of neuronal interaction. For example, even the neurotransmitter and endocrinal aspects, but also all kinds of other more biological aspects of the neuron, the wetware, yes. which we don't yes. capture typically, even in our best neural network uh, 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 simulations, that is doing a lot of important work for ill-defined problems. And I, if that's what he's pointing to with that term, then I think he's, uh, I'm in agreement with that distinction.
0: Yes. Um, and he... Uh correct again we're back to this situation where the more problems we can get into dry code and have those solved you know very efficiently by uh either i guess social institutions or computers the more we can scale as humans right we're freeing ourselves up to focus on other more
1: complicated yes. or more wet code problems yeah so the uh, so what the industrial revolution did uh the way it afforded the Eliminate, well, the, 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 at least approximate elimination of slavery in the world, mm-hmm. right? The computer revolution in the same way did that for a lot of problem solving. Yes. Uh, now, yeah. we, our culture hasn't totally caught up uh, because what we've done is instead of focusing on the problems, we do to some degree, but instead of focusing on the problems that the wet, the wet wear problems mm-hmm. uh, that human beings uh, We've we've actually just also just created a lot of bullshit jobs, mm-hmm. uh, right? Yes, a lot of government people. jobs <laughs> and, and other jobs. There's lots of bullshit jobs, right? And so, uh, and and more and more people. Uh, the reason I bring that up is more and more people are reporting that that's their attitude, yes. Uh, yes, towards their work, which means they basically, I mean, just mathematically, they think of a third of their life as bullshit. Yes, that is yes. very corrosive, very very corrosive. Um. So sorry, that was a little aside I just wanted to bring bring to. The- that's
0: an important aside though, and uh, I think free market economists would argue that the the more government intervention you have, which is more regulation, more red tape, more bureaucracy, the more bullshit jobs you have, not only the government jobs themselves, but everyone else that's all the other market actors that are forced to comply with these overly complicated codes, that's the bullshit aspect. So the more and the more free market you become, the more accountable all organizations are to the preferences of their customers, which is a very economizing force. It clear kind of clears the bullshit or clears the problems more efficiently. Um, that's my own aside there on your side. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. okay I,
0: I want to try to progress this conversation. So psychotechnologies are software. We're running yeah. right programs. It's a way of systemizing our cognition, uh, streamlining yeah. our interactions and communications.
1: Um, uh, basically recording just it re, really, what it does is it releases the power of distributed cognition, both with like within an individual across time and also across individuals synchronically and also across individuals across time. So yes. there's sort of three dimensions in which it expands the Amount of, I'll, I'll use this and it's a meaningless term, but people use it the uh, the amount of brain power we can bring to bear on any problem.
0: Yes, yes. Okay. So maybe if we think about uh, forgive this analogy, I'm just trying something here. If psychotechnologies are the bricks, maybe the social institutions yeah. are the buildings we're constructing in a way. Um, uh, but, yeah. But, but, maybe. But, well, the question here is. That, when psychotechnologies change, here's my, my kind of yeah. theorem I want to put forward. Uh, not only if, when they change, but if, they become, if the implementation of psychotechnologies becomes more widespread, that we can yes. have these upheavals in our social institutions and even institutional collapse. And that's what 15th century collapse of the medieval church was, right? We had the printing press, which accelerated the dissemination of literacy and numeracy in the world. And the, the outcome of that was that the church all of a sudden became a much less relevant institution, right? It used to control the printing of books, the scriptoria, but when people all of a sudden had literacy, they didn't have need for the scriptoria anymore, and they had direct access to the word of God. So yeah. is that the relationship that when we update psychotechnologies or more widely implement them, that... The social
1: that becomes reflected in social institutions over time. Yeah. So so let, let me try and expand on that in in, in in a little bit of detail. So let's go back to the point we made about a social institution and proceduralization. There's a, there the, 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 the problem is, and there's sort of formal arguments around this, around no free lunch theorems and things like that. But the problem is we, we don't actually have algorithms for these domains. We have we have heuristics. And this mm-hmm. has to do with the nature of problem solving. Which means when we've proceduralized something, um, we're pretending as if we have something that's algorithmic, but it, we're, it's really not. And so the environment is actually not static enough. You, can, you like, and so you you get this in clear instances where you get skill, uh, you get transfer interference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I told the story of my uncle who would play golf all summer, and then that would interfere with his hockey swing right, and then right, he play yeah, hockey yeah. all right and because you're pretending that the world is just the golf world right and you right, but right, right, right. but the world is not just the golf world it's also the hockey world and it's also a world that's neither a golf world or a hockey world and you might try to use that swing just inappropriately so we 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 talk about when we, when we, when it's working we uh we 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 talk about a skill when when we're sort of neutral on it we talk about a habit but when it's screwing us up, we'll we use phrases like the dead hand of habit, um, <laughs> right? Okay. And so, so so, the that's a very strong analogy for if I've proceduralized uh, distributed cognition, it will suffer the same threat or vulnerability as individual cognition does with that proceduralization. One of the theories of, and I think we've talked about this briefly before, about consciousness is, Consciousness first, it, it it manages ill-defined, complex situations yes, with high yeah. degrees of uncertainty, which is distinct from risk, right? And, and basically, it what it does is it does I would say all this higher-order recursive relevance realization, in order to be able to proceduralize it. But consciousness mm-hmm. also does something else. It's it's for it's for debugging. So you also bring things out of proceduralization back mm-hmm. into consciousness mm-hmm. in order to interrupt them in order to, right. And so you're, you're caught. Con- I mean, there's this constant sh- back and forth. That's trying to constantly recalibrate, right. And reconfigure the, the your, your procedural, your procedural abilities. Right. Yes. So, now, go the ahead, thing please. we need, the thing we need, right. Um, and that, tends to, sorry, I don't want to sound uh, too utopian because I don't believe in utopias, but um, we don't really quite have a function like consciousness that parallels the intelligence, the proceduralized intelligence we have in social institutions. Like you said, we, we create bureaucracy and bureaucracy is an attempt to try and right, do this, but what we see increasingly is we see the attempt to proceduralize, uh, and, and whether it comes out, whether it comes out is, right, we tend to try and create more and more rules to replace judgment. Mm. And we and we do and, and and let's be clear. This is not some evil sin, or it's not some Kafka esque you know cabal that human beings are just you know yeah Weber is right. There's all these latent functions of bureaucracy that are noxious, and Kafka is right to point them out. But the overall intent is a good intent, which is what you want is you want to have places right in your institution. That are analogous to that consciousness function. Mm-hmm. They, they are constantly doing the back and forth between, pre, you know, recalibrating, reproceduralizing, proceduralizing, uh, where judgment and and higher order relevance realization and insight are properly um, functioning to evolve the social institution. And right. so my 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 criticism, in a sort of a cog side level, um, is now you can see this in cutting edge social groups, the papers that Dan Schiappi and I have released about the NASA scientists coordinating the rovers on Mars and how they have this much more dynamic, small world network, fluid form of social um, organization. It, 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 it And it's constantly moving between insight and proceduralization. The ethnographies on that are just amazing. Um, yeah. And so now, now whether or not that's possible at large groups, I don't know, but what I, that that's my criticism um, that We tend to get solidified into um, a strategy that is initially terrifically successful, which is let's replace judgment with rules, right? Let's replace judgment. But we know ultimately that's why. That's why, by the way, in addition to the law, we have judges who are supposed to represent human judgment. Mm -hmm. But then, what happens is right? We we're struggling right now. I think as a society, amongst other things we're struggling to figure out what's the relationship between legislation and judicial reflection mm-hmm. right some people want to completely rein in the, the judges with legislation some people want to reduce the and, and, and i'm not i'm not competent to answer on that but what i what i what i'm trying to point out to you is we need to step back and say we got that we understood that for the legal institution you have yes. the rules the law but you also have the judges but we need something like that in all of our institutions
0: Right. Does that make sense right. as an argument? Uh, yeah, yes, it does. So there, um, first of all, I like how you distinguish between skill, habit, and bad habit. They're all kind of the same thing. It's just whether it's serving your aim or not, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. Whether or not it's adapted to the environment.
0: Yes. Exactly. So we can have this, I guess, misframing, if you will, which is a form of self-deception, perhaps. Your uncle's yep. on the golf course swinging a hockey stick style. Yep. You know, um, and then there's this okay, so the institution itself is functioning sort of like consciousness, and that it's proceduralizing, trying to take information in and proceduralize it so it knows how to deal with it in a more economic manner in the future, yes, but at the same time, it has to step out of itself and sort of analyze. What, how it's proceduralizing. Yes. This information and perform modification. So you need this balance between rigidity and fluidity, maybe if those are rough terms. And I'm reminded stability here ability and plasticity are the typical terms and plasticity. Great. I'm reminded here of your transjective term. Yes.
1: yes. Where
0: it's, you know, we have this. Objective rigidity, what is this subjective belief of what should be, and then there's this transjective adaptivity occurring between the two
1: yeah, yeah, and so i I'm, I'm going to say something provocative, and maybe it'll be provocative to your listeners, and I hope they take it in good spirit right that i, I right um what one way of thinking about it, and again, I'm stretching terms a little, so I'm mm-hmm. trying to be a little bit playful, to, so we can get more insight into this. Mm-hmm. You can think of judges, as the philosophers of the legal system, mm. they don't just apply the rules or try to set, you know, benchmarks, and we're gonna we're gonna convict this many people. They're also stepping back and saying, "Are we using the right rules? Is mm-hmm. that are we applying like what do we mean by this? What do we mean by that?" And that's why you know, one good way to be a judge is a judge who's, you know, typically been, uh, you know, a significant um, uh, scholar in the philosophy and history of law, right? I right. think about other institutions that we have that wield tremendous power. Of course, we have hierarchies and there's people in power making decisions. But like, I wouldn't, uh, you know, it'd be difficult to see, for example, uh, you know, the the, the managerial uh, uh, elite of a corporation as the philosophers of the corporation, right? Yeah, right. You see what yeah. I'm what uh, and, and 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 notice how when I say that people there's an instant sort of why what, why but yeah. notice how we yeah. well we think it's totally important for law and law is like the core proceduralization it is the meta proceduralization system of our entire society and why do we think we should have philosophers as not dominating that system but a significant part of it. And yes, yet when we yes. look at our, when we look at the lower the lower level, I mean, lower respect to meta social institutions, we don't think we need that. Um, and, and, and that's kind of odd because, if, for example, if you look at the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire is run best, and this is kind of a consensus, when the emperors were also philosophers, and the epitome yes, of that is Marcus yes. Aurelius. So yes. that he's he is, of course, is doing all of this with the empire, but he's also a philosopher reflecting on this mm-hmm. and questioning it. So that's, I mean, that's a fairly radical proposal. And um, and I think it's kind of orthogonal to being left or right. So I don't know. I probably have just pissed everybody off by making it. No, but, not at but, all. <laughs> but, that, but that's, like, imagine if we had that. I mean... It, you know, and, and in some places you you see it also. You can see in hospitals they often have an ethics board where they they have on on in that board they have people with philosophical training, not yes, because they're going to yes. make the ultimate decisions about policy, but they're there to keep that plasticity, to keep the the, mm-hmm, the to mm-hmm. keep the arena of adaptivity open and flowing. Right.
0: So it doesn't ossify into something totalitarian, right? We need to navigate the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law to make sure that the
1: letter is always revivified by the spirit to some extent. And the spirit is always concretized to some degree in the letter. Mm. The opposite mistake is just to stay the Peter Pan syndrome, to stay in the wonderful possibilities, right, of abstract thought.
0: Overly generalized, perhaps, versus... We're back to generalizability versus discriminability to some yep, extent, yes. right? letter spirit and letter rather. Um, okay, I like this, and I want to I want to go down this further now. Um, so possession, as is commonly said, is nine-tenths of the law. So yes. we could say property is yes. nine-tenths of the law. Property is the basis of civilization, right? The fact that you can go out. Earn something that you can keep and trade with others. That's what enables yes. us to be peaceful. Yes, money. Another definition: it's the meta property right. It's a call yes. option on all other forms of property. It's the most superior, liquid, important form of property in the world.
1: Yeah, your idea of it being the uh, the simult the lubricant that simultaneously uh, facilitates trade and the flow. Of information, I think that's a very that's a very good that's a very good idea. Yes. Um, and, and what and what and we're wrestling with. Sorry, I, I don't want to say grandiose, but there's in in many many ways, you can see a lot of different phenomena as us wrestling with the ontology of property. Mm-hmm. Um, so notion, you know, when people are talking about identity, or whether they're talking what's proper. Or they talk about what belongs to me, identity is often used as a term yes. for I'm not criticizing this no. I'm just stating trying to state a bunch of things now here's what I am criticizing that we are not we are we we, we are doing lots of you know running around legislation about this mm-hmm. um and again and again i i I understand why it's urgent, but we're not having enough and I'll keep using this adjective because it's neutral, we're not having enough philosophical reflection that is being taken seriously by the people who are legislating about exactly what is the ontology. Uh, uh, like you did something really cool for me last time. You, and this, was, this is the kind of move I'm talking about. You said, John, don't think of property as possession. Think about it as time. Mm-hmm. And, relationship with time, yep. Yeah, relationship with time. Now, that's the kind of move I'm talking about. That's the kind of move I'm talking about. Because as soon as you do that, you then see, well, the sort of hard, fast distinctions I have between my identity and my stuff aren't that hard and fast because my identity is all, is terrifically, in both senses of the word, how I'm relating to the temporal aspect of my being. That's what, yeah. that's what we're trying to do when we're trying to work out our identity. Um, and so... Well first of all I, I mean uh, I didn't mean it to be but it's turning out as an advertisement for your ideas so that's good Thank but you. what <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> what I'm saying is like th- th- that those kinds of moves but we don't we don't like we, d- we need we need to properly value them so that we could and, and sorry this this doesn't I don't mean to sound mercenary we need to more properly value them so we could actually employ people to do these tasks mm-hmm. right? Yes,
0: so a, a number of things here. One, you use the word proper to describe this uh relationship yes. with property. That's they're the again etymologically associated yeah, proper exactly. meaning yeah. one's own. That's what it means. So it's yes. again you talk about this relationship with time, that's what property is. It's you own your own time and you also own whatever you combine it with, right? That's the that's the hard and fast of it. Uh and again, that's the basis of civilization. The problem I, I'm trying to address here, and I'm, I hope to shine light on, is that we have a centralized institution yeah. that controls this base level protocol. I'll use the term protocol because I think, again, institutions are kind of like software applications built on top of this protocol we call money. Yeah. Um, and so the, the central that is the central bank. And if we consider that property is time, The central bank can produce money without cost. By doing so, it is stealing time from other humans. I think this is the modern institution of slavery in the world, frankly. It's not visceral, in your face, physical bondage, but because of its invisibility or relative invisibility, it's done at a much larger scale. And I've quantified this in some of my writing. But yeah. when you hear the terms printing money, increasing the debt ceiling, all of these things, you can just translate it in your mind as stealing time because that is in fact all it is doing. There is no other economic there's no other equitable economic benefit to increasing the money supply other than those that can do it stealing from those that cannot. Full mm-hmm. stop. Mm-hmm. And further, I think it it um increases The emphasis on legislation over something more like the English common law tradition where we have law discovery, right, where we're observing patterns of action over time and saying this is the law that's been discovered versus the positive law that's been enforced or legislated. Yes. Um, yes. All of this, I would argue, this corruption, this um, emphasis on legislation, force, coercion, politics is rooted in the viability of property. The fact that there is an institution that can violate the property of everyone else, it can use that mechanism to enforce its will on everyone. And I think this is the black heart of modern economics, is the central bank.
1: That's my overarching thesis. Uh, Yeah, you've made that point very powerfully. (laughs) And and I'm I'm always a little bit hesitant when you do that because you have you have me at a terrific disadvantage. Um, like I don't under I, I have not studied economics and um, and uh, and I'm concerned. I mean, i I'll, one of the things. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions because you you hinted at this at one point that this was like I know on a bit of history. I know there was a time before there was a centralized banks. I forget the name of the guy in France. Uh, and you had you you know you had all these multiple currencies and that, mm-hmm. that was very that was chaotic, right? Yeah. So there was there was an actual justifiable reason why central banks were brought in that actually helped improve trade economic flow and things like that. Yes. So- standardization. So typically yes. monopolies, they impose standards.
0: And this is not just in money, by the way, like Rockefeller impo- imposed standards in the oil industry and that gave it a lot yeah. of efficiency. Um, so there are gains to be had from that. The problem is that it comes with control, right? So whoever sets the standard then gets to manipulate the standard to their own benefit.
1: Right. Right. And so the, uh, So, is this an example again? And again, I don't know of something that's set up for efficiency and then it tends to become like it tends to become ossified in some sense. It loses the adaptive relationship to a changing environment. Is that part of your argument? Am I understanding you correctly? 100%. And it's
0: also infusing the rest of the market economy with this maladaptivity because it's just printing money and papering over losses. So, capitalism cannot function. The Darwinian function of markets, right? Is to make sure capital is going to its highest and best use. But when you paper over losses, which are the signals that that capital is not being put to its highest and best use, it needs to be allocated elsewhere. You're distorting the, the adaptive impulse of markets, right? So right. it's, it's very, um, it, it is poisonous, frankly, to the, to the free market. So
1: does and so Given that idea, and then you made it. You made it move, which you filled in in more detail last time, which is because this is an institution, and it's the hardware. Well, we'll get back to this in a sec. You see, money like there's an institution. It's a hardware, and then money is a hardware software thing, right? It's a psychotech. It's an implementation of psychotechnologies. Yeah, this is going to have a huge impact on the functioning of distributed cognition that is analogous, if I understand your argument, to the way alphabetic literacy had a huge impact and helped drive something like the Axial Revolution. That's that's the core of your argument. Is that correct? Yes, I think
0: that we, the, and thanks to your work, frankly, I've come to view this as we are we're running software, right? We're thinking in yeah. literacy. We're using numeracy and economic yeah. calculation. That's what distinguishes us from people a thousand years ago, largely, yeah. right? That we have different, we're running different software. Um, and I think money, money's kind of the hybrid though, because to your point, it's always yeah. had this physical, yeah. it needs this bridge to the real world. It yep. needs to be rooted in real economic scarcity, but we also use it mentally. So my yeah, kind of overarching thesis there is because it's the, messaging mechanism is corrupt, it's having a corruptive effect on culture and individuals. Uh, And this is not my, again, not my idea. I don't think I have any, anyone has any ideas really. We're all just kind of recycling and sharing them. But um, there's a long tradition of in the Austrian school, exploring this connection. Like when the monetary standard breaks down, the moral standard breaks down, civilization breaks down.
1: So the idea, like the adulteration of the coinage in ancient Rome, yes, and then you, you get, uh, yes. that, that
0: and and it makes rep- a lot of sense because if the money loses its meaning and relevance, you can't interact with anyone that you don't trust, you know. So yes. we're all reduced to the Dunbar number of 150 people or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. So,
1: yeah. but there are, there are still advantages, I take it, for money over barter, precisely because it's like George Herbert Mead's generalized other. I, I, I like it. it's a oh. generalized representation of the capacity to trade and oh. communicate with each other, as opposed to specific items. Massive advantages. So, massive advantages to using money
0: over barter. Um, so, what we need is a, an incorruptible standard, effectively, right? Then you get the benefits of centralization, which is standardization and efficiency. But if it's on a decentralized protocol like Bitcoin it cannot be corrupted. So you end up with something, something like the metric system of money is maybe a good analogy. We all mm. agree what a kilogram is, right? It's rooted actually in the speed of light, which is a pretty right, right. particular universal constant. Right, we right. need something similar in money to optimally coordinate distributed cognition in the marketplace.
1: But what you're doing in your argument that is, I think, fairly original is you're looking at the cognitive dimension the information processing and problem-solving capacity of distributed cognition in this argument. That seems to me, at least from what I can hear, to be you know a, a fairly original idea you're bringing to bear here. Uh,
0: not actually. So Frederick okay. Hayek, <laughs> you may have heard yeah. of Hayek actually. He's one of the more, more famous Austrian economists. He has a great paper called The Use of Knowledge in Society. And he de- he determines just this thing, that the Primary function of markets and the reason central planning can never outcompete the marketplace is because it's by definition less intelligent, right? It's a matter of distributing knowledge as you know, distributed cognition. So, yeah, yeah, not not original. (laughs) I don't think.
1: Actually, don't think I've got anything original really, other than maybe connecting some dots here. Well, but connecting some dots and at least developing the thesis is also. I mean, so again. I'm always worried that I, I'm speaking out of my ignorance, um, or, you know, about the specific um, specific derivations that you're making. Um, all the they, they, the arguments are the arguments are plausible, and uh, that means I I think they should be they're well made and should be taken seriously. Uh-huh. And you're making them in good faith, and you've convinced me that you're doing them for uh, you know a deep moral intent. And for me, that means right. I'm going to listen to you for all of those reasons thank you the thing, the where i have the relevant expertise to make more of a judgment mm-hmm. is you know the ideas of distributed cognition psychotechnology you know hardware software aspects and i think what you're doing there the idea of understanding money as this hybrid uh, between institution and psychotechnology it's an institution generator and a psychotechnology generator in some ways right well said yes Right and 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 it's and it's like Mead's generalized other for distributed cognition, at least the trade, yeah. the trading aspects uh, of distributed cognition. I think all of that that strikes me as very good, and I hadn't thought about that before um, uh, because I I, I, t- I tended to see, and it, this was this was nothing but bias on my part, the bias of ignorance. You know, and I I did courses on political economy in university, and I tended to, this discourse was, I I found all of this discourse um, tremendously disconnected from the philosophy and psychology of rationality and human problem solving and intelligence, and I just sort of stepped back from it and said, uh, this isn't where, if I may, just,
0: and I'm not certain this is why, but I will say that The state and the central bank and modern academia are deeply related to one another. I I myself, I have a master's degree in accounting and finance. I was never taught one letter of Austrian economics, not at all. And Austrian economics is the culmination of all human ancient wisdom on economics up until the past 200 years, at which point it branched into Keynesian economics, which is I mean, you can do your own study. I would argue it's the propagandistic power base of the central bank. They basically co-opted this portion of academia to justify controlling the money supply, saying here are the levers we need to pull to control this complex system we call the market, which as you, if you know anything about complex systems, is a fool's errand. It's like trying to control the weather, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I would say there's probably a reason whatever you learned about in school related to economics didn't make sense, wasn't connected to rationality, because by the way, Austrian economics is rooted in rationality. It is a deductive science. It's not empirical, actually. You start from these fundamental axioms like man must act and you deduce um, theorems from that effectively. So it's radically different. It's, it's day and night. Um, sorry to jump in, but I just wanted to encourage this. It's, it's kind of a blind spot in most people's world because it doesn't exist in modern curriculum.
1: So, I mean, uh, thank you for saying that. Um, I, I mean, my situation was even a little bit more, uh, more, more. So my supervisor for my, uh, my, for my thesis, um, he actually sp- published several articles on economics being a pseudoscience. <laughs> so, right. It is. Yeah. And, and I, it, which is odd because in the end, my theory of relevance realization is a bioeconomic model of cognition mm-hmm. um, and explicitly so. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so there was, there's some kind sort of weird irony. I, I hope it's not a Freudian thing about he was my father figure or not. Something <laughs> <like>. <laughs> uh, but um, I get. I guess what, 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 uh, I mean, when you said that about it being deductive, I get that that, that helps to justify its claims um, but like we should we should talk about that no, maybe a little bit. I see. I want a notion, uh, and many not me. Who cares what I want? That's that's stupid. What I mean is many people are arguing. I'm in concert with a lot of people. I do a lot of work. I publish on rationality. I'm doing work constantly on it, right? And I do not. I'm seriously critical of the deductive model of rationality. You've probably seen that in my series that I think that purely computational model is inadequate for understanding what it is for a human being. So instead of making truth preservation the defining feature of rationality, I make it the, uh, the capacity to systemically and reliably, not algorithmically, mm-hmm. systemically and reliably overcome self-deception. Mm-hmm. So that awesome. mindfulness can be up, is, as, uh, as, is as rational a behavior as running a modus ponens argument with propositions. Right. Yes, A- and, yes. And 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 then and, and this is the whole notion of bounded rationality and ecological rationality. And I would like, I would like, um, I would like an economics. And maybe this is unfair for me to ask. And, and am I being hubristic? You know, I think we we're on very good terms. You tell me, and I'll uh, I'll, I'll listen. Yeah. Completely. Okay. okay. <laughs> good terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would want – I think there's a, a, a needed revision of the, uh, uh, of the anthropology that's being presupposed in economics uh, such that the, this more – th- oh, I'll, I'll say better. I think this better theory of what rationality is needs to be put into deep discussion with economical theory. I know that sounds really sort of like, but like that, 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 that to me, like the pervasiveness of self-deceptive, self-destructive behavior shouldn't be taken as noise within an economic model. It should be taken as a constant, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm, should mm -hmm. be incorporated in, right? Things like that. That's what I'm trying to put my figure on. And the fact that human beings right, have to, they're not just interacting with the world in a utilitarian fashion, they're interacting with it in a symbolic fashion, because they're they're doing all of this kind of trading, right, right. they're trading ideas, and they're trading worldviews, yes. and the currencies of those are, are, are different, they're not separate, given your arguments, which I agree with, they're not separate from the monetary currency, but they're not identical or reducible to it, you and I have talked about this already, yes. and, and so that's what I'm saying. So that's a, that's a, that's sort of a, a, a something. Uh, so well, I. Um, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I just I just did something I said I wouldn't do. I said I wasn't going to talk very much about economics because I'm largely ignorant of it. But that's the part where again, where I think I, I have some relevant expertise to bring to bear on well, it. Uh, I think I think you're
0: making a very brilliant statement, and I agree. Is something that is much needed. Is we have this economic. Pseudoscience in academia today, which is purely uh imp- empirical based, right? We think we can just observe economic history, and um, you know, it's it's kind of like physics envy, I guess. You know, and in, in physics yeah. there are constants, water freezes at zero degrees Celsius. In yeah, economics and yeah. human action, praxeology more generally, which is the study of human action, there are no constants. So mm-hmm. this is the main. Divergence between the Austrian school and Keynesians is that they say it's a deductive science; it's rational. It cannot be. You can't derive a lot from empiricism. But what I'm hearing you say is that if we almost used, and I think this is the right way to do it, is you use rationality, so Austrian economics, to deduce these theorems about human action, and then you observe economic history, right? Things that have actually happened, and and check its explanatory power. That seems to be something that's needed. And I just wanted to add one thing to your point where you mentioned uh, this idea of self-deception being a constant. Of course, it's like that's what we are, as you know, as you're clearly (laughs) broadcasting to the world here. The market is the forum of free exchange that systematically eliminates individual bias, individual agenda, and self-deception, right? It's We're seeing the world through the eyes of others through the price signal. It's like, you may think a certain thing works in the marketplace, but the market will tell you if you're right or wrong, right? Others will value or disvalue uh, what you're bringing to the table. So it's this, it's where we're getting feedback from distributed cognition to overcome our own individual bias, self-deception, et cetera. Um, it It almost imposes humility on people, right? And if you're an entrepreneur, anyone that's an entrepreneur knows this, you may have a certain model of the world. I'm going to go out and do this thing. And it's like, no, you're going to pivot 80 times if you're lucky before something
1: works. That's well said. And and I, I like the idea of the, you're presenting the market as a distributed cognition, uh, uh, you know, self-correcting system. Um, the analogy I would have to that is science because science is similarly. Yes. Right. A, a, a self-correcting practice. Yes, but here's where I would go back to my point: the the what you see science emerge out of a recognition that neither pure rationalism, Cartesian science, mm-hmm. or pure empiricism, Humean science, is how you do science. Right. You have to get something beyond that. And Kant, of course, was wrestling yes. with that, and you can see all of that. And that's that's what I'm trying to recommend. I'm trying so to recommend
0: transjective, perhaps.
1: Yes, yes, yeah. and something in which both top-down theorizing and and bottom-up observation uh, are are constantly dynamically impacting on each other. Uh, And of course, in science, properly practiced, because science is is corruptible too. And I I want to come back to that point. Science is corruptible too, right? In practice, when it's working properly, there is a proper, again, I'm using that word, proper place for human judgment, right? And and philosophy of science has gone beyond, well, what scientists do is they deduce. So what scientists do is they just measure. No, it's this really complicated, self-correcting, dynamical system within and between human beings. So I think it's a very sophisticated machine. So that's, first of all, how I I wanna push that analogy onto economics um, and, and say, we 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 could right. It's it'd be, it, especially because we're we're trying to destu- where the economist is trying to study a, a similarly complex dynamical, uh, distributed, uh, cognitive system. Yes. So here's my here's here's my question and and uh, uh, and, um, and and you know stop this digression wherever you want. We can go back to the main line of argument. I I see. And, and 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 this is my concern. Um, I see that even this this well developed, well institutionalized, long tradition, significantly educated, different than perhaps economics this thing we call science, and it's still powerful and running. But I also see I I see it being corrupted. Um, and and, and I don't just mean. Uh, you know, by by financial, I don't mean the standard model. I mean, think about it this way. Because I want to hear your thoughts on this. This is meant Mm. to be an open question. So you can think of, you know, the publishing arena as the market for the ideas of science. And we have peer review and we have all this thing. Mm. What we've discovered is the publication process is ultimately, this is the frame problem, it has a a, a a side effect that was itself corrupted. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? It's very difficult to publish an article that is the is the disconfirmation or the falsification of a, of an idea.
0: Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm.
1: very difficult to publish an idea that right is integrating existing ideas rather than proposing a new mm-hmm, idea. Mm-hmm. And so what what happens is you get the incentivizing of people pursuing innovations, right. And only publishing positive results. Those those two things have contributed significantly to the replication crisis Mm. within science. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah.